0: We are live in the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse at 67 East 11th Street in the landmark cast-iron building, Greenwich Village, City of New York. We start tonight as we always do. To those of you who are here for the first time, welcome. To those who have been here before, welcome home. Tonight, our first book event of the 2016 event calendar. The book, Fun City, John Lindsay, Joe Namath and How Sports Saved New York in the 1960s. The publisher, Sports Publishing, the author, Sean Devaney. Please join me as we welcome Sean Devaney to the clubhouse. Well, oh, thanks a lot, Jay. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, and thank you so much for uh, for writing this book. It we may get into it a little bit publicly in the discussion, but it really uh, resonated for me uh, personally uh, a lot of this book in, in somewhat uh, a bit of an emotional way. So. Maybe we'll get into that later, right. a little right. later. Sure. But my first question is, especially we have not met before, No. Uh, and you're, uh, I guess this is a compliment, you're younger than I was expecting, okay. uh, <laughs> given the subject matter in particular. So, uh, what? How did this book come about, and what drew you to this topic?
1: Well, you know, it, it actually started with uh, a conversation I was having with uh, with the publisher. Um, had done my previous book about Wrigley Field and we were sort of deciding well what are we going to do next is there something something out there and and uh, you know he, he mentioned John Lindsay and I was struck by the fact that I didn't know who Lindsay was and and uh, he said you know he's mayor of New York for for eight years and I said you know he's he's that that's interesting so I kind of did some snooping around and 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 reading about him and reading about him at the at the time uh, and, and, and what a big sort of national star he was, and he's sort of fallen into the dustbin of history. So uh, that was the first thing that interested me, and then, and then the tie-in uh, that, that, that came with, with uh, uh, Lindsey's uh, time in office, particularly his first term, in the sports team, the way the sports teams in New York kind of all came together, the Jets, uh, uh, the Mets. And the Knicks, not the tradi- not the Giants and the and the Yankees, right. not the traditional powerhouses, but these sort of uh, upstarts, these newcomers. Uh, and, and and that sort of reflected uh Lindsay and his time in office. And th- the more I, I got into the story, the more I said, you know, I think this could be uh, this could be something fun to uh, fun to write and, and hopefully fun to read.
0: Well it definitely was fun to read, so well, uh, hopefully you. it was, it was fun to it. write. Yeah, uh, uh, thank you. Sure. E uh, six. <laughs> <laughs> So the, uh, I mean, you do, really do a beautiful job of interweaving the, 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 the sports stories and everything that was going on with, with John Lindsay, or a lot of things going on with John Lindsay. There was a lot going on yes. with John Lindsay. Uh, and I just want to, for some of the people who may not be that familiar, I mean, I, the fact that you had not even heard of, of John Lindsay, some of the people here may not be that familiar with uh, what went on very quickly with his first administration. Uh, And some of this overlaps into the second administration. But, And these are all things that Sean goes into fascinating depth about in the book uh, with very interesting stories. It's extremely well researched. Uh, We have some seats here. Neil, you too. but just some of the issues that Sean goes into with fascinating stories, so we'll touch on some of them. There's a transit strike, a sanitation strike, a teacher strike. The Wagner administration left City Hall empty, uh, literally.
1: There, there wasn't even a stapler. They, they couldn't, yeah. have, they didn't have any <laughs> pens. They, the, 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 when Lindsay walks in, the, the, the transit strike that you mentioned took place five hours into the Lindsey administration. He, his, he was five hours in and, and all the subways closed down. So that was, that was sort of, and then they get to City Hall, there's no staplers, there's no paper. They cleared the place out because Lindsay had sort of talked so poorly of, of Wagner heading in that all the people who were in, his, uh, in, in the mayor's office at the time said, well, we'll show them. <laughs> and they took everything out. It was completely cleared out. That was, that was sort of how they had to uh, uh, get started.
0: Yeah, which is, which is really amazing. Even uh, when you have uh, one party and another party takes power, you still want there to be some transition. But like you said, the 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 campaign was a bit nasty. Uh, well, Wagner ends up, maybe if you want to speak a little bit about how, how Lindsay became the mayor. Uh, yeah,
1: Wa- Wagner wound up pulling out, and, and, and a lot of people thought that Lindsay had a big plan to basically run against Wagner Wagner was sort of an entrenched Democratic uh, politician he had been around for a long time uh, you know he, he kind of knew the ways of the city but but Lindsay was really running against him and uh, against sort of that 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 notion of the backroom deal and the, and the politicians who will sort of say anything and then go back and, and make deals and uh, really things were getting bad in New York and and here comes Lindsay and he's this 6-4 congressman blonde hair, you know handsome, 43 years old uh, On the cover of Time, Newsweek, Life magazine, really a national figure uh, Everybody assumes he's eventually going to run for president, uh, but uh, uh, he, he instead of, of taking the traditional path would be, you know, go run for Senate run for governor something like that He decides to run for mayor, which traditionally has been, if, if you wanna go up in, 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 in national office, you don't run for mayor of New York because you're dealing with, <laughs> a, you know, you, you're not dealing with the uh, high-minded speeches that you're making in the halls of the Senate, you're dealing with, you know, paving potholes and, and, and cleaning up the trash, it's just something that's hard to do, so so he gets into the, the, uh, the race in 1965, and you could, it depends on who you ask, but a lot of people will say he didn't really expect to win. He didn't necessarily want to win. He just wanted to sort of have that, sort of raise his, uh, uh, his profile a little bit, go back to Congress and, and, and build his career from there. But when Wagner pulls out and says, all right, you want it, you can, you can have it, uh, they didn't put up a, a, a very solid, Abe Beam was his, uh, uh, who eventually did become mayor, but Abe Beam at the time was a lot like Wagner. He was sort of a, a, a career politician. And so a lot of uh, uh, a lot of voters saw the contrast between Beam uh, and 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 Lindsay and, and and went for Lindsay. and and so he wound up winning sort of uh, uh, against all odds. It was re- he was a Republican, and there hadn't been a Republican mayor since uh, Laguardia, so it had been quite a while, uh, and uh, uh, he, he really did sort of uh, beat the odds in terms of that.
0: And the, uh, just just for the record, the other person in that race, yes. some of you may have heard of, uh, William F. Buckley, was also in that race. He, he
1: provided some serious entertainment, there's no question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and the line, which you talk about in the book, uh, by Murray Kempton, uh, who was a writer for the New York World-Telegram, about Lindsay, he is fresh and everyone else is tired. And that basically became the campaign slogan. Right, right.
1: Brian and I were just talking about there's... There's a, a, a famous photo of, of Lindsay campaigning on Rockaway Beach, and he's, he's shirtless. And, you know, tall, handsome back. <laughs> and as you could go through the history of New York mayors and there's nobody who would <laughs> want and be photographed shirtless. Lindsay was probably the only guy who could get away with that. <laughs> uh,
0: and we'll, I, I want to get into some of the, uh, the other stories about Lindsay but I also want to bring in a little bit of the sports at the same time, yeah. particularly baseball, given sure. where we are. Uh, so for those of you with a lot of Joe Namath questions, who makes, uh, he makes up a good chunk of his book. I'm going to leave that to the Q&A. Uh, <laughs> unless there's anything you want to throw in as no, we get no, no, to no, something. Sure. But uh, an area that you touched on, which I thought was fascinating is, and sometimes you'll, you'll hear this about a politician, it's, it, it, it wasn't his time. Like he, maybe he was the right person, but it just wasn't the right time things have to come together. And things came together for the Mets in some ways, because of the Yankees uh, either failures or, or, or one thing led to, to the next. First, they basically got rid of Casey Stengel as manager, so he's there for the Mets to make, he can become the Mets first manager, being the perfect manager for that particular team at that time. Uh, in that same time frame, The Yankees are sold to CBS, Uh, it's very corporate, and then you have what's going on out in Queens. Yeah, right. Uh, And just uh, uh, something that you you brought up was in 1964, the Mets' first year, uh, the Mets won 50, uh, I'm sorry, the Mets' first year in Shea Stadium. The Mets won 53 games. The Yankees won the pennant. The Mets outdrew the Yankees by 400,000 fans. Uh, so, yeah, just fans, kind
1: of, fans were getting tired of the Yankees, and, and and they did have a certain arrogance. I know that might be hard to believe, but the Yankees did have a certain arrogance uh, in the way they dealt with uh, their fans, with, with the way they dealt with their fans, and the way they dealt with uh, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the broadcasters. It, it was pretty much a, a top to bottom thing. So, the, the fans were, were getting tired of that, and, and so when the Mets came along, this group who uh, uh, you know as, as, as one writer put it uh, uh, you know you would you'd lose nine games in a row but that tenth game that win was was like a beautiful blue-eyed boy that, that they just gave birth to you know uh, it, it was something that uh, 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 really attracted a lot of fans even though uh, they were so bad you know that that, that, that just the uh, the thrill of watching a Mets win was enough to uh, uh, to make people happy, the the, the bar uh, owner Toots Shore uh, had a great quote, and he said, uh, um, "I I, I, w- I want my son to watch the Mets because I want him to know about life. <laughs> that's that's sort of what the Mets were. You know, it was, just, it, was it was something where, uh, uh, like I say you lose nine games but you win that tenth, and, the, and it kind of makes it worth it. So so as the Yankees were sort of as you mentioned, eleven million dollar deal that gets sold to CBS, uh, they were really seen as this sort of robotic automaton you know they weren't they weren't seen as, uh, as 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 a bunch of people they were seen as this corporate entity that uh, uh, when you compared that to the Mets the Mets really did grow uh, quite a bit in popularity and of course you had the, the whole National League thing a lot of people were had just really missed the National League uh, with uh, with the departure of the Dodgers and the Giants uh, uh, in 1957
0: so that's that same time frame is basically the start of the, the- very close to the start of the campaign for Lindsay, and we've touched on some of those beginning uh, yes. aspects. Just some of the other things, if you could speak on, uh, one of the things that you, you, you really did a beautiful job with the research was, the, uh, well, first I'd like to read the quote that you sure. used to open the preface. It was, it was And I used it in the, in the newsletter that we sent out. Uh, it's by a Scottish poet, Thomas Campbell. Coming events cast their shadows before. And you used it in the sense of things that happened in New York in 1957 leading into the 60s. Yeah. But I think, and, and what I really got out of a lot of this book is a lot of what happened, particularly in politics, at that time, you could use the exact same quote for today uh, in, this, in this world. It,
1: it's really, it, that, that's one of the remarkable things that I found in doing the research is, um, you know, some of the the, the, the topics of conversation uh, or, or, you know, Maybe there's a less civil word than conversation. Some of the arguing that goes on on, on on cable news and such like that, they were having the same fights 50 years ago. The same fights. Exactly. So, uh, you know, one of Lindsay's first uh, real big issues was uh, uh, there was a real feeling uh, in the black community that the police were not treating them fairly and, and he tried to set up a, a civil review board which would, would oversee uh, complaints about the police. Uh, and it turned into a heck of a fight. It turned into something that, that, uh, that, that he really got clobbered on. He lost two to one uh, by a two to one margin uh, in terms of uh, uh, how the votes went uh, uh, when they had a, a referendum on that. Uh, and it's just when, when you hear the language and sort of the, the rhetoric that was being used uh, in 1965 about that, it's the same thing that we're saying in 2015, 2016. It's the same thing. So it's, it, it was really remarkable. That's just one example. I mean, there's, there's a lot of other examples of, uh, uh, of that sort of thing where, I, really, this, there hasn't been a lot of progress on a lot of issues uh, from then to now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the areas that, you, that comes up again and again in the stories that you tell about him, which I thought was really uh, a real, an extremely admirable quality of his, for example, in the, it, it, there is, uh, this is a little bit later in the time frame, but when Martin Luther King is assassinated, and earlier, there are a lot of race issues and potential riots in certain areas of Brooklyn that could have mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. And Lindsay is just out there walking the streets. And while maybe there's some of those same issues are around, I don't see any politician no, right. of any party going out into the streets at all the way he walked the streets.
1: Yeah, yeah. and that was, that was one of his real, like you say, one of his real positive attributes was he wasn't, if, if something was going to go wrong, he was going to be there. Uh, and, and when you consider what was going on around the country, 1965, you have Watts in Los Angeles, of course, uh, uh, 1967, you have Newark, with nasty, nasty riots, Detroit uh, was, was 1967. You go right down the list, hundreds of riots all around the country. New York was pretty much spared, and, and and you really have to give a lot of credit to Lindsay. Um, uh, Howard Leary was his, uh, um, his uh, uh, police chief, and, and he did a really good job with the way, changing the way the police acted, uh, and, and not sort of taking a bad situation and making it worse, but a lot of it was, was Lindsay showing up, and, and probably the most powerful was in, in, the, in the day after uh, uh, Martin Luther King uh, was was because there was something about like one hundred and fifty riots in cities across the country. New York did not have one. He went to Harlem and walked around, and that did so much to sort of <clears throat> calm the situation. And and he, he got out and he c- came out of the the city car and said, you know, well, can we walk down the street together and talk? And no mayor was doing that. And and, and really, you're right. No politician does that even now. But but he was uh, uh, somebody who uh, uh, you know really saw the value of. If something's going to happen, I need to be there.
0: And you tell the story. I believe it was the, uh, right after the Martin Luther King assassination, or it was one of the other uh, race issues. I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but where they basically they told him he starts to walk, and they pretty much said, "You better get out of here yeah, at this point."
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of the one of the city councilmen from from Harlem basically said, "John, what are you doing? You're you're you know, this is a, this is a very dangerous situation." Uh, and they kind of had to drag him back into the car, and and, and they did, and. Uh, you know, he spent about uh, almost an hour uh, at first when, when things were potentially going to be at their worst. And then he came back uh, late at night and, and, and just to kind of survey the damage and, uh, and you know, got on the phone with the, uh, um, with the, uh, the sanitation folks and said, get up here and, and, and clean this up. I want By the time people wake up in the morning, I want it to look like nothing ever happened. And, and that was the case.
0: And then just if we could flip for a second to... Back to baseball, with another type of a leader, after Robert Kennedy's assassination, if you could talk a little bit about Gil Hodges, yeah. what he did.
1: Yeah, it was it's one of the the untold sort of stories of, of, of the 1969 Mets is what happened in June of 1968 after Robert F Kennedy was w- was killed. Um, baseball really bungled the situation. Um, the the commissioner at the time, really William Eckert. Didn't really know what he was doing. He was in over his head. This was not a good job for him, uh, and so so he winds up uh, allowing games to be played on that weekend. Everybody's calling for them to be canceled. Uh, but uh, uh, but what the what the Mets did is is Gil Hodges um, meets with them in Chicago. They they were in Chicago at the time, They're supposed to go to San Francisco and play a weekend series. Uh, one of the reasons why baseball didn't want to cancel any games that weekend is. It was a June weekend. They were going to make a lot of money. You know, they had they were expecting you know three hundred thousand fans. Uh, a lot of teams had that day and they can't can't cancel that day even <laughs> if Robert F Kennedy's been killed. Uh, so uh, there's a uh, uh, the, the Cubs are are going to San Francisco and, and Gil Hodges takes a vote and says, "What do you want to do?" You, you know, they're they're supposed to play uh, in San Francisco and the players vote and it was unanimous and they said, "No, we're not we're not going to play." Um, the Owner of the Giants was furious. Stone uh, Stoneham, who uh, Stoneman, who uh, uh, took the Giants out of New York, of course, um, because well, he's got that day on Saturday, and he can't believe well, you can't you can't uh, you can't just cancel. You'll have to forfeit the game. Uh, so he makes an offer uh, to start the game a little later, uh, or I'm sorry, to start the game a little earlier in the day, and uh, and. You know, hopefully that that will that will soothe the Mets. Uh, they land in San Francisco, and, and Gil Hodges takes another vote and says, "What do you guys want to do?" Uh, and uh, and they voted again. No, we're we're not going to play. And Gil Hodges backed them all the way. Hodges, when he first got in, this was a young team. They really bristled at how much of a disciplinarian he was. They weren't used to that. They had Casey Stengel, who didn't wasn't doing much for discipline at the time. Wes uh, West from was sort of the same way. So they, they really they were having a hard time sort of meshing with Gil Hodges, but that incident really brought them together. And really, uh, I think they went 16 and 14 in June of 1968. That was only the second time, this is a team that have been around since 62, Second time they finished above 500 in, in a month. Uh, but it was definitely a positive uh, uh, asp- uh, a positive reaction by that team and, and really did help them bring together and, and kind of get them on the same page as the manager. And I think that really did help them, s- set them up for 1969.
0: And I, I certainly have uh, plenty of other questions, but I, wanted, I, I know we have an extremely intelligent crowd here of New Yorkers, so, I'd like to make sure we have enough time. Does anyone want to lead off uh, with a question about any of this?
2: Was Lindsay a sports fan politically or personally? And if so, what teams or what sports was he favoring? He uh,
1: He became a big Mets fan in 1969 because he was facing a really tough election. <laughs> and it turned out that if the Mets were doing well then there was more likely that 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 people were going to vote for him so he really latched on to the Mets. I talked to his campaign manager though and, and and uh, and and he said that uh, he remembers d- during the World Series uh, taking Lindsay the games and saying, "Okay, John, we got to go." And and he knew nothing about baseball, <laughs> so he would go into the locker room and, and pretend to be a big Mets rooter, and they they doused him with champagne and stuff. But he knew nothing about baseball. And the campaign manager told me uh, uh, that uh, that that during one of the, before one of the games, he said, "Okay, John, we have to go back out to the ballpark." How many goddamn games did these people play? You know, he, <laughs> <laughs> he had no idea what was going on. But he knew that politically it was good for him because you know, nineteen sixty nine, that was the year that he was up for re-election. Uh, and, and and as Jay said, things weren't going that well. So that was one of the things that helped boost him uh, uh, to, uh, to to get reelected. Was there- Yeah that that was certainly a factor. I think the bigger factor though was was TV and uh, the the rise of the NFL. Those those are probably uh, bigger factors, and 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 really, baseball as a whole was having sort of a a bit of a mental meltdown in terms of what do we do about the NFL because it was gaining in popularity. Uh, people were were much more television oriented, and and the NFL put out a product that's a neat two-hour window on on Sundays, whereas baseball, you know, is not really a TV-friendly sport. Um, so I think that 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 was probably the bigger thing was uh, that that baseball felt it was losing out. Uh, to, and when they hired uh, William Eckert to replace uh, 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 Ford Frick, uh, he was a guy who had no baseball experience whatsoever. He said he hadn't been to a baseball game in 10 years, but he was a businessman. He had he, he was a three-star general and a businessman, so they thought that that would fix their problem, help them address the, the NFL thing uh, because he, he had such business acumen. It failed miserably, but that was their thinking, and, and, and I think that is probably – uh, what they saw as the bigger issue was, uh, was uh, you know, just competition from other sports. Yes,
2: sir? Your research. Yeah. Um, who else did you interview that knew, like Lindsay and David? Yeah,
1: I, 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 I talked to a few people. Um, I, I found that I didn't really use a lot of the interviews that I did because I, I wanted it to be more... Um, you know more less memory and more source more like getting into what the research at the time was there's there's so much available in terms of uh, uh, interviews that were being done at the time and things like that so um, you know I, I certainly did talk to a lot of people who knew Lindsay um, uh, I mentioned his campaign manager uh, there's a, a couple of other people who work for him um, there's a professor at, uh, at Hunter College who I spoke to about him um, and, and then some of the writers of the time, I mean, Dave Anderson, he mentioned, uh, was, uh, was, w- was very gracious with me and kind of pointed me toward, um, you know, when I, when I would say, okay, well, this is, this is what was being written at the time. Was that right? And he would say, well, here's what was really going on. So, uh, you know, I just definitely, uh, uh, I found uh, a lot of people, um, it, it's interesting, a lot of people have very, very uh, vivid memories of that time, and it's, uh, it's interesting to, uh, uh, to kind of get into that with some people. No, no, I don't think so. Um, what, you know, one thing that, that was great about that time as a researcher is that it was an era in which everybody was writing a book. You know, so, so Joe Namath did his own book. Uh, uh, I can't wait for tomorrow because I get better looking every day, uh, which is what I was going to call my book. Um, but, uh, but uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, Bill Bradley had, uh, uh, had his book. Uh, uh, of course, uh, Jim Booten's book was, was in 1969. Um, Dave DeBusher wrote a book. Just everybody had a book. So uh, as, as, as far as finding some original material, I always found that there was something I could sort of lean on uh, when uh, when looking for you know what the the stories behind the stories were.
2: Did yes. you get to talk to Navy? No, no, he. He was a very good baseball player. From, you know, he Florida. was in uh, in Pennsylvania, yeah, yes. Yeah. i was wondering if he got caught up with the Mets in that year. Yeah, the yeah. Mets, the next the Jets all won, That's right. You know, that's,
1: you know, that's 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 sort the of the culmination. Season. Right, right, that's the culmination of the book is, is, is Namath winning and then then the Mets winning and then, of course, the Knicks going on to win uh, in 1970. But, but Namath's a little tough to get uh, uh, to get pinned down on, uh, uh, on, on on giving you some conversations, that's for sure. He, you need to, I'll put it delicately, he needs to know what's in it for him. That, that's <laughs> what I found. <laughs>
0: well, since he does make up such a big part of the book, if you'd just like to talk a little bit about him as it relates to... Anything with John Lindsay? Yeah, you know, uh, it, it,
1: they definitely cross paths uh, quite a bit, as I, as I talk about in the book. Um, one of the things about about Joe and and that he kind of has a, a, a sort of a parallel with Lindsay is he was just so different than everybody who came before him, you know, I mean, just not just the hair, but, but how he actually behaved, how he spoke to uh, the, it, there was an obsession with his hair, you know, that was, it was bizarre, uh, but, but, uh, uh, but, but how he behaved, um, how he spoke to reporters, you know, in, in 1966, his, his second year in the league. And part of this was Sonny Werblin was the owner of the Jets. He very much encouraged this. He, he, he was, uh, Sonny Werblin, Uh, Had been the president of MCA so he he was very much an entertainment guy he had come from Hollywood he represented uh, You know Elizabeth Taylor and and Johnny Carson and and folks like that So he recognized how to make a star and one of the things he wanted was uh, for Joe to to, Everybody else on the Jets lived out on Long Island. He wanted Joe Live in Manhattan and 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 go out get drunk you know, make make a scene. It, it's good for you, and and uh, uh, and that's very much what Joe did. And 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 uh, you know, there's there's a great Sports Illustrated feature about him uh, from 1966, and it's called "The Swingin' Life of Joe Namath." And and basically, the writer goes out and goes to bars and watch Joe watches Joe pick up women. I mean, that's 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 the whole story. And <laughs> I, it's just that you had never seen that in sports before. I mean, it, it, it's just not how. You had a guy like Mickey Mantle who who obviously liked to go out and have his fun, but it was sort of sports writers would try to sweep it under the rug. It wasn't something that was, you know, germane to to, to the person uh, as as it was presented to to the public. And Joe was very much different in that, and and that was very much uh, uh, an aspect of of Namath that uh, uh, that the Jets wanted out there. We, you back. the coach, would like to have seen him reel that in, but uh, but 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 Sonny Werblin, the owner, understood that. The more Joe Namath was in the headlines, the better it was for the Jets.
0: And you also have some uh, stories in here about Namath and Mantle uh, together, with some business, uh, some business opportunities. Yeah, they,
1: they they became very good friends, and and there was, it was sort of a natural friendship. Mantle was was older, of course, but uh, uh, it's a little known fact that that when. Um, when the Jets played in Miami in the Super Bowl in 1969, they practiced at the Yankees' uh, uh, spring training facility, and so Joe Namath actually had Mickey Mantle's locker uh, while he was practicing for that 1969 Super Bowl. Uh, but but yeah, they became great friends. Uh, they were golfing buddies. Uh, they, they 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 did go into uh, uh, to a, a business venture, uh, sort of an employment agency uh, for young folks, and so it was Mantle's men and. Name its women. <laughs> That's right. Name it. Yeah, name it's, name it's girls. So, uh, yeah, that, it, 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 they were very much uh, uh, sort of intertwined, uh, not only in terms of their business and their friendship, but also on the sports scene because, uh, you know, as Mantle is declining, you're seeing Joe on the rise. And, and, and so there was sort of a passing of the torch there in terms of, uh, you know, who's going to be the, uh, the rascal of the uh, New York sports scene.
0: And then you tell the story. It's possible that some of the folks in here used to go there. I'm not sure of the bar that uh, Mantle owned, or was a, uh, an owner of. And if you could just talk about that with the commissioner, how what? Oh, happened. Ba- *Bachelor's* three that, yeah. that that
1: Joe owned. Yeah, Joe owned that with uh, with a couple of his friends, and it was basically a place where um, he could drink for free. That was that was the idea, <laughs> uh, <laughs> since he was the owner. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, but there was uh, extensive reporting. Uh, that showed that there was gambling going on there and that, that, that there was uh, um, a sort of a bookmaking. And Joe always denied it and, and said, you know, why, why would I I don't have any uh, need to do that and in fact uh, he was, got so defensive about it that for a period in 1969 he retired. He said, I'm, I'm going to stand on my principles on this and I'm not going to uh, uh, I'm not going to you know back down so if you're going to kick me out of football then you're going to kick me out of football. Uh, he rescinded that within about uh, uh, the whole thing lasted about 10 days or so, but, uh, but, but, but he was very serious about it. He was very upset about the fact that uh, uh, the, the, the accusations that were being made, uh, which were, were, it's hard to judge exactly to the extent to which they were true, uh, but certainly something un, uh, unsavory was going on at the, at the place, uh, and uh, uh, eventually, like I said, he gave in, he winds up selling the bar, uh, and comes back to football.
2: So is the argument of the book, because it's called Fun City, was that the sporting the support that Lindsay gave to sport was something that kind of pulled New York out of the... You
1: know, Fun City actually has sort of a um, an interesting... Uh, it's, it's a phrase that is used to describe New York during Lindsay's tenure, uh, both in a positive way. He tries to sort of... Claim it as his own and say this is a fun city, uh, whereas his detractors use it very sarcastically. Uh, it came, it comes from a, a Dick Chapp column actually, uh, right after the uh, or in the heart of the. Uh, uh... the transit strike uh... lindsey is giving a speech uh... he walks you know to to show that that uh, uh... that new york can handle a transit strike he walks to work four miles uh... and uh... and during a press conference he says uh... you know you see that this is still a fun city so dick Shap used that very sarcastically uh... so it kind of became sort of an uh, a symbol of lindsey uh, of new york under lindsey where there were times where he did a lot of things that really did make me go. He was very committed to the arts. Uh, He did a lot uh, in in terms of Times Square um, in in preserving the theaters there uh, and making it so that, okay, if you bought a building and you wanna build office towers or a hotel above, you've gotta keep the theater that's, that's the deal, you've got to keep the theater there. Um, you know, he closed down uh, Central Park to traffic, he was the first one to do that. Uh, so, so he did a lot of things that, that really did, you can say that they're not really the heart of what was wrong with New York, but he definitely tried to make New York into a, uh, a, a more pleasant place for the people who live here. Um, and, and, and so that's how he saw fun city, but the folks who saw the, the skyrocketing crime rate, the drug addiction, um, the, uh, the, the budget that was getting busted more and more and more every year, uh, they would say, yeah, this is a real fun city. So it, it was something that, uh, uh, that, that was really used both ways.
2: He ran. Did. last year as mayor
1: right it or didn't it didn't go well yeah right he, 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 Democrat, right? yeah he so he was he started off as a Republican and he was seen like I said very much as sort of the future of the Republican Party uh, after the Goldwater disaster of 1964 everybody said well the Dep- the, the Republican Party will now move uh, more to the left and he was a liberal Republican like like Rockefeller the governor at the time uh, and uh, that just didn't happen. you know. So nationally the, the, the Republicans kept moving to the right and eventually when he ran for reelection in, in 1969, he lost the Republican primary. They actually had a primary and uh, a little known state senator named John Markey uh, won that and, 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 and ran against him for mayor. So he had to run as a liberal independent uh, and then by the time 1972 comes around, uh, Nixon has been president uh, for, uh, you know, four years at that point, point uh, and the party has definitely moved to the right, and so he, he comes becomes full on uh, a Democrat, runs in the Democratic Party that, uh, in the Democratic primary that year. He put a lot of emphasis on, on Wisconsin, uh, got something like 6% of the vote uh, in Wisconsin and, and, and lost pretty badly. Uh, also put a lot of emphasis on, on Florida and finished something like seventh or eighth in Florida. And that was the end of uh, uh, his run for the presidency. And
2: it, it, it did it affect how he ran the city in his last year. I mean, you know, it-, it
1: probably, yeah. I mean, th- 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 there were still a lot of uh, issues in terms of the budget, especially. I mean, it's just there, there was such a uh, uh, a bleeding of jobs in terms of the manufacturing sector, uh, sector, and, and and such an explosion in, in welfare payout that uh, that. Uh, um, it just kind of kept getting worse and worse and worse. That was one of the real problems that he had, trying to run for president. You can't, you know, he, he, he didn't have a lot of credentials in terms of uh, uh, what was going on in New York. And certainly the way things uh, uh, ended up in 1972, uh, eventually A-Beam did, did become uh, uh, mayor and and uh, things did not get, get better uh, uh, under him, that's for sure. The <laughs> other
2: uh- Second, yes, career. right, I had, right. I had a poster in my window in, in my apartment when I was going to college with that one. And That's the second toughest. Step. To we were doing a documentary series on the first um, fashion week Oh, yeah, so, no, yeah. Yeah,
1: they they One of the great things about that nineteen sixty nine campaign, where he, one of the slogans was, as you say, the uh, second toughest job in America is. They they did most of the 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 campaign through TV ads, and he did a remarkable TV ad in which he's sitting at Gracie Mansion. Uh, you know he doesn't have a tie on, his, his shirt's a little open, he's just looking at the camera and he's basically apologizing for everything that went wrong, he says you know we, we there was a giant snowstorm and, and, and the plows did not go out and uh, there were some people that died and he said you know we guessed wrong on the weather and and and, uh, and that was a mistake and he and went through, and it goes through this whole list of of just uh, uh, you know the mistakes that he made, I, it's, it's a pretty remarkable uh, I think you can find it online, it, it's a pretty remarkable commercial Uh, considering uh, you know what uh, uh, what he was doing he's running for office and basically saying oh yeah so so much went wrong but still vote for me anyways it's it was pretty uh, uh, it's a pretty remarkable ad
0: actually I just want to follow up a little bit on that when I when I opened I said uh, a lot of this resonated with me and it got a little emotional for me as I was going through this Uh, the reason why I used to work in politics and I worked for uh, David Garth, who oh, yeah. ran—it yeah. Uh, was a little before my time. I started working for David in 1980, but— Those commercials were his idea. Yeah, was, it was yeah. all David. The second yeah. toughest job in America was David's yes, line. Yeah. And uh, I just want to read something that, that you wrote uh, when you talked about the ads for 1969's yeah, yeah. re-election. Uh, the ads were well ahead of their time. Some of them appeared to be apology videos, though Lindsay never actually said he was specifically sorry for anything. But he would have to look into the camera directly and admit mistakes. He was not sure that was wise. Nothing like it had ever been done before in a political campaign, which is that famous ad. Yeah. Probably the yeah. greatest ad in, in may, maybe the greatest ad yeah. ever. Yeah, there was, there was
1: another great ad uh, in, in which um, they're talking about uh, it's Jack Klugman is, is narrating it. And, uh, you know, there had been the riots in, in, in Newark in, in 1967. And as we said, there, there weren't any riots in New York. So uh, it it starts off and it says jaunty music and Jack Klugman says you know if you want to see uh, what uh, what what could have happened in New York uh, you know what you ought to do is and then it like, stops and then this, the ominous music rah, go across the river to Newark <laughs> like it shows like it shows Newark all all bombed out It's, uh, it's oh my gosh uh, but, but they actually uh, the, the mayor of Newark complained uh, pretty pretty completely about that and. Uh, they, they wanted to pulling that one up
0: <laughs> and there's also uh, which this is a testament to your research because this is not that well known if anyone would like uh, the link just please uh, send me an email I can send you the link how you found this I'm not sure but there's actually a commercial that uh, John Lindsay used in his which unfortunately David uh, passed away last year so I can't ask him about this but I'm sure David wrote this commercial David was a huge baseball fan and uh, you, you found this commercial somehow and it's in the book. I just want to read it because it, it mm-hmm. relates to John Lindsay and baseball. Mm-hmm. So basically John Lindsay is uh, sitting at his desk in City Hall, there's no lights on at all. The only light that's on is the, his little desk lamp. And he's there with his sleeves rolled up and his tie is loosened. And he just looks in the camera and he says, for one afternoon this fall, a baseball team brought this town together like it's never been brought together before. At 3.17 on a cool afternoon, a bunch of kids named Kuzman and A.G. and Weiss brought about the impossible dream, and all of a sudden, New Yorkers forgot all about their differences, and it showed me how close the city really can be. For the fact of the matter is that the Bay Ridge homeowner and the Forest Hill school teacher and the jobless teenager in Bedford-Stuyvesant are not natural enemies, and there are people trying to divide the city, and we can't let them do that. The man in this office who occupies this chair has to reach all of the people in this city and bring them together. And if anyone tries to tell you that it can't be done, remember the Mets. If they can do it, we can do it. And then it comes on the screen, vote for Mayor Lindsay." It's yeah. the second toughest job in America. <laughs> yeah, and that
1: ad that, that, that came out about three days before the election. He definitely wanted to, to, to kind of whisper in the ear of New Yorkers, I, remember the Mets? Oh, for me you know <laughs> remember when they were dousing you with champagne oh for me so yeah it's uh, and again he, he was not much for a baseball fan to be to be honest with you
0: <laughs> and w- from your uh, you started this where you said you n- never heard of mm-hmm. you didn't know who John Lindsay was mm-hmm. by the time you were done with all your research what is your what's your feeling you know I, I
1: he's uh, those who do remember there's a, uh, uh, a great book about him uh, by Vincent Canato. Uh, it's called uh, "The Ungovernable City." It's about 800 pages. It's it's a uh, it's a long one, but uh, uh, it's very it, it's very in depth. But it's also pretty negative toward him. And and I didn't think there were parts of it I didn't think were quite fair. I think when you when you look back on the situation he was given and what he tried to do, and 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 this is sort of how I wrap up the book. Um, he had such good intentions. He really was trying to do something that didn't have a whole lot of political benefit and and ultimately did kill his political career, killed his higher aspirations. Uh, But you know when when you're trying to help people in the ghettos, uh, when you're trying to help uh, the, the impoverished and you're trying to recognize that if we're going to fix our cities that's where we have to start there isn't a whole lot of political benefit to that. I mean, he really did suffer politically uh, for that, um, and, and so I, I that that was sort of my conclusion was um, that uh, uh, he was a man of, of, of really good intentions. It, you know, you can argue that he didn't uh, he didn't cash in on those. You know, that he didn't uh, uh, come through or or fulfill what his promise was. Uh, but I, I think you have to give him credit for trying.
0: Well, you, you definitely nailed it. And uh, the only reason I'm going to bring this up is because somehow you got to this research, too, in your, in your book. Uh, his, the people that he had working for him were, were really an amazing group uh, he, that he brought into government. And they all went on to very illustrious careers, many of them outside of government, a, as time went on. Uh, and I would just know this through stories that David would tell. Uh, but John, when John Lindsay uh, was older... You, you, you talk about some of this in the book, uh, to some degree. Uh, he, ha- he basically had no money. Uh, because of his serious health issues, he went through all of his money, and he had no health insurance. And all these guys who worked for him, uh, including David, uh, kind of led by David, frankly, uh, they basically supported him. Uh, and this was the this was John Lindsay yeah and uh, yeah. this is how he passed away yeah uh, and I think it's exactly because of what the way you described him is why they felt the exact same way about him
1: yeah folks like uh, like Jay Kriegel um, exactly. uh, uh, said David uh, they they still have you, you talk to them about it that they still have immense love and respect for John Lindsay and, and, and like you say what, what, what he was trying to do and uh, uh, yeah, he, he definitely fell on hard times, uh, a lot of health issues. Um, he tried to run for the Senate in 1980. That, 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 uh, he, he was not successful at that. But um, uh, eventually uh, Rudy Giuliani actually put him uh, on the city payroll, gave him sort of a, a figurehead job just so he would have health insurance because he couldn't, uh, uh, couldn't, could, couldn't pay his bills anymore. Uh, well, what it was, it, you have to have served for 10 years in the, in the city, and so he was eight years. So what Giuliani did was was give him this this post for two years, and then he was able to uh, to, to get the the uh, uh, the insurance after that because he would have been a, an employee for 10 years. He
2: didn't, get, he didn't have any
1: insurance for his years in the House? He, wasn't, he was in the House of Representatives. Yeah,
2: he was. Uh, yeah, no, he, yeah, he, 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 he didn't. Yeah. What did he suffer from? Uh, he had
1: a, uh, a number of things. Uh, it was
2: mostly hard trouble, though. Mm-hmm. We're having a discussion over here. Hi. Hi. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Steve? There's tremendous detail in all the political history, too, and even little thing. I worked uh, a little bit with Ocean Hill Oh yeah.
1: there's there's uh, well, thank you I appreciate that but that's that's a story that you know there's been whole books written about that that was uh, yeah, I um,
2: the guy uh, Bob Campbell, he's passed away he wrote a book called the Chasm which went to what it's all about
1: Yeah yeah and that that was a real problem for Lindsay because it was two of his biggest constituencies uh, uh, minorities and 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 uh, the teachers union was was about 66% uh, Jewish uh, and and they were fighting against each other, basically, and, and and it was really, it was a very, very difficult situation, uh, you know, both in, in terms of the reality of what was going on on the ground and in terms of the politics of it for him.
2: Another funny thing was Michael Quill used yes. to mispronounce his name. Well, Lindsley, yeah. He had to call Lindsley.
1: Linsley. Yeah, Lindsley, Colin yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: If you want yeah. to just talk a little bit about Michael Quill, because you really oh, to, yeah. there's a yeah, tremendous stories in here.
1: Yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was the, the head of the transportation workers union, uh, and uh, uh, basically he was about to retire, and he knew he was sort of at the end of uh, uh, at the end of uh, uh, his time at the head of the union, uh, and he he really seemed to be hell bent on going out with a bang. Uh, and, and that meant a, a big strike. And so no matter how reasonable Lindsay was in terms of trying to come to a deal with Quill, he just was not, was not hearing it. And uh, you know, Quill was, was this sort of uh, pugnacious, old, bald Irishman. Uh, and here's Lindsay, you know, this uh, Yale-educated, tall, uh, bald, uh, uh, blonde uh, uh, congressman. And you could not have had uh, uh, a, a a a more disparate group. Um, you know, it's it's it, it really the, the, their fight. Uh, um, the, uh, the the writer Jimmy Breslin had a great quote uh, about them, and and, and uh, when 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 uh, he, he said that when uh, uh, when Lindsay looks at Quill, he sees the past. When Quill looks at Lindsay, he sees the Church of England, and and that's that's sort of that's sort of exactly how it was, and and so there's almost nothing that Lindsay could do to avoid a nasty fight and a big strike, and and that's exactly what wound up happening. It was it was uh, uh, nearly two weeks, if you can imagine, New York, uh, you know, nearly two weeks without any uh, subway or bus services. Uh, it was uh, it was a tough tough time, and 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 finally, when when uh, when Quill did settle the strike. Uh, it was only about two weeks later that he died. He had a heart attack and died. And so it was almost like he, he got his one last big moment and, uh, and that was sort of how he went out.
2: It, it, are you from New York or Chicago, or are you from different? <laughs> uh,
1: I'm from Boston and I, I spent a lot of time in Chicago as well. Yeah.
2: Because uh, if you drive, I think it's Wyndham, if you drive upstate, there's a Michael J. Quill Art Center off the highway. Yeah.
1: And the, the, the transportation building over uh, on the West Side Highway is uh, is the Michael, Michael J. Quill uh, Transportation in, Center.
2: In your book on Wrigley, did you deal with the 69, how Chicago reacted?
1: No, the, the the book on Wrigley is, is strictly uh, from about uh, 1914 to 1916. That's all about sort of the building of the, the field uh, on the north side when the Cubs were still on the west side in the Federal League and, and that sort of thing, so I didn't get into into the 60s but you uh, got into I, I got hero. into there yeah yeah the Cubs and, and and DeRocher and some of the things that uh, that 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 he got up to that year uh, you know he had sort of a new young wife and and took a few days off and 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 was spotted in Wisconsin you know camping at a campground with her and, and her son and uh, during the season uh, and uh, you know that that sort of set off sort of a spiral uh, where uh, uh, w- where the Cubs really fell apart uh, uh, late, late in the year.
0: Getting flack from your friends and family for writing a book about New York, being from Boston?
1: Yeah, yeah. My, my, I, my, I don't think my mother uh, will ever forgive me. But, uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, that's it. she'll get over it.
0: <laughs> Any other questions? All right, well, again, especially for those listening uh, to the podcast, please pick up the book, which is entitled Fun City. John Lindsay, Joe Namath, and How Sports Saved New York in the 1960s, published by Sports Publishing, written beautifully by Sean Devaney. Thank you well, thank so you, much. And- I
2: appreciate it.